0: Uh, Most of us were raised reading stories written by Mark Twain. Uh, Whether it's uh, Connecticut in King Arthur's court or, more famously, stories about a guy named Tom Sawyer. I don't know how many of you have really read The Adventures of Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn, uh, but Tom Sawyer is a an, a an interesting character, to say the least. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Tom Sawyer is this guy, mythical young boy, raised in Missouri, uh, who got into all kinds of trouble. And he was constantly getting in trouble because he was always... Uh, skirting to the line of what he should do and overstepping it as well. But he was one of those guys that kind of captured my imagination. I had a young, uh, when I was a teenager, I had a friend. His name was John Taylor. And John Taylor reminds me of Tom Sawyer. Uh, John regrettably uh, decided that uh, a life of crime was the way he was going to go. He was put in Huntsville State Penitentiary. Uh, He, uh, while there, uh, found life in Christ and then got out of Huntsville and uh, uh, began to uh, live his life the way he was living it, and he's in heaven today. Uh, That's the tragic tale, the the non-mythic side of Tom Sawyer. But Tom was one of these guys who really wanted to uh, live life to the fullest as he imagined it to be, and he would get into all kinds of different uh, tales. Now, I don't know how many of y'all know the stories of Tom Sawyer, but do, if you do know any of them, there's this one story where Tom was given the assignment to whitewash a picket fence. Okay, y'all remember that? Some of y'all? He was given the assignment um, at 30 feet of, of uh, pickets on a fence, and he was supposed to whitewash them, paint them white. And Tom couldn't escape the assignment, so he began to imagine a way to get, uh, make the less, uh, work less arduous, so uh, as he was <clears throat> thinking, he began to imagine that he could get other people to whitewash the fence for him. Now, you have to be a pretty significant salesman to get others to imagine painting a picket fence was a good idea. But the fact that Tom was able to do that, he was able to convince other people uh, that life in all of its fullness could be found in whitewashing a picket fence. You can go through, Google it. If you're not familiar with the story, read uh, that section. It's in uh, uh, Google Books or wherever else. Uh, better yet, buy the book, read it. It's a great, it's a great uh, storytelling. Uh, but... So Tom Sawyer was able to convince people, not because he thought whitewashing a fence, painting a fence white. He didn't think that was the best thing since sliced bread. I don't think he even had sliced bread at that time. But he did not think that 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 was the way to the fullness of life. But he sold it like it was. He was peddling this moment saying, you've got to to get in on this. And making some money to boot if I've not... If I'm not mistaken. So here is Tom Sawyer selling uh, a myth, and people are buying it. We live in a culture today where popular people are selling a myth that you can have the fullness of life by whitewashing a picket fence or following your dreams, or doing what makes you happy, or any other of those ideas that are floating around. And and people are selling these ideas as though this is the secret to a full and meaningful life. And people are buying it. People are buying it in today's culture, lock, stock, and barrel. And yes, we live in a postmodern setting. Uh, and what that means in terms of religious or philosophy, or religion or philosophy, it simply means that there are a lot of things at the buffet table. And all of them can feed something in us. Not one is privileged. Not one has absolute truth attached to it. That's what postmodern sells us. But really, it is narcissism narcissism at its core. The main thing, make yourself happy. You go to your workplace. You go to your classmates. You go uh, on your ship or at your school, and you begin to sell this idea Making yourself happy will not satisfy your soul. You tell them that, and they will boo you. That's okay. Because the reality is we're not, as followers of Jesus, we're not called to sell an ideology that is equal among many. We're not called to share um, one uh, idea that is just as good as others. As followers of Jesus, we have received and we are supposed to share the only way to find life in all of its fullness. There's only one way. There are not multitudes of ways. There are not a dozen ways. There are not equally valid ways. There is only one way for any human being in any part of the world at any given time in history, present or future, to find life in all of its fullness. And that is through Jesus. That's it. No other way. Now, I understand that people are peddling something different, but as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, we're not peddling something like that we are sharing the absolute truth of God which we have seen and which we have experienced that has changed our life now let me ask you a question if you have received this good news if you have believed on Jesus and he has changed your life if that is true then why in the world do Tom Sawyers out there have more passion to whitewash a fence, get other people to whitewash a fence, than you or I do to tell others how that they can find life in all of its fullness. How is it that people don't believe that Jesus is who history tells us he is? I I humbly suggest it's because people like you and me don't act like Jesus is who history tells us he is. We get more excited about talking about our favorite football team or our our favorite shopping spree or our favorite golf game. We get more excited about talking about what's on television than we do the Savior of the world who has changed our heart. And it must never be that way. I would suggest that one of the reasons people don't believe Jesus is who the Bible tells Jesus is is because followers of Jesus are more more inclined to fight about economics than they are tell the truth about Jesus who can save the soul. The reason we've been talking about three circles is to help us fulfill the mandate that God has given us. And the mandate that God has given us as followers of Christ is to tell others how that they can find life through faith in Christ. that's. That's the mandate for us. And so, truthfully, I just want us all to have the skill set that we need to tell others about Jesus. We've been looking at these three circles, and this is the gospel in a circle, circle form. And, and what I want us to do is I want us to kind of walk through this. I did this last week, and And you might be saying, I don't know how to get into a conversation with someone. I don't know how to begin talking to someone about Jesus. That's what's holding me up. I get it. I do. It's hard. It's not easy. But it's something we must do. So uh, last week I shared with you, there is a way, and I'm old school, but there's a way that I begin conversations about the gospel. This past week I had two wonderful conversations uh, with individuals about the gospel. And it began with... Um, uh, some elements of what I'm about to share with you. Last week I said uh, FIRE, F I R E, is an acronym that I use to begin a conversation with people uh, uh, about Jesus. And the F in FIRE is family. Tell me about your family, or tell me about your relationships, or tell me about where you're from, or tell me about your background. Uh, so this past week when I was having a conversation with someone who really didn't know me, I said, you know, I was raised in um, uh, Tennessee and, and I've, I, I'm married. I have four daughters, by the way. I have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. Do you want to see pictures? I talked a little bit about my family and then I asked them, wh- where are you from? What what you're, and many of y'all who are here, who are here uh, for the first time or several times, and I've met you in the grand lobby, you'll hear me ask you that same question. Where are you from? It's a great conversation, sir. It's a great way to begin a conversation where you're helping others. Uh, tell, us, tell me about them. Again, this is a conversation. It's not a sales pitch. We're not, we're not peddlers trying to get people to buy into them whitewashing offense we're telling them the truth that can change their life we want to have a conversation so we begin talking about family tell me about your family and the I in fire the I is interest Uh, what do you do to have fun and people ask me it has something to do with fishing or fly fishing sometimes reading playing uh, uh, with my family all those things are fun I love to read Uh, but I'm asking them what do you do for fun uh, do you have any special interests or hobbies? And they'll tell you something, and what they tell you, again, as I shared last week, don't get offended because uh, they're doing a lot of things to have fun that maybe might be uh, morally offensive to you. That is not what you're, th- you're not there to, to evaluate the moral fiber of their character. You're there to help them understand that the only hope they have in life is Jesus, so When they tell you that their interests include something that might be offensive to you or to me, move past that and go to their religious background. That's the R. So family, interests, religious background. And you might ask, what is your religious background? Or are you a spiritual person? Depending upon who you're talking with. Um, Do you go to church? Do you have a church? Do you have a religious practice? Uh, what you know, any way that you can move the conversation towards spiritual things, that's what you want to do. Uh, any way that you can help that person with whom you're sharing begin to think about spiritual things. When you start asking about spiritual things, they begin to clue in. Uh, there, there's a little bit of fear that they might be thinking multi-level marketing, and and so you want to make sure that you're more relational than you are uh, programmatic. Now, let them talk with you. You talk with them. Have a conversation. If they're talking about their spiritual journey and they talk about uh, uh, crystals or um, uh, some uh, meditation or something like, I say, well, tell me about that. What does that do? What do you mean? I'm not familiar. Can you help me? Now, let them share with you. And it's not because you're trying to get to a sales pitch. It's because you're genuinely interested. This matters. You begin to talk to them about their spiritual uh, background, their religious background, um, are they spiritual people, and then it moves to the E. Now most of you last week, if you're a note taker, we got to the E last week and I gave you uh, the questions that I was asking, but but you wanted to know what E stood for, okay? And I appreciate that, all of you, F-I-R-E. Family, interest, religious background. The E stands for exploratory questions. Okay, Nothing new about this. This is old school. But exploratory questions. Exploratory questions are questions that get to the heart of foundation for someone. So if someone were to ask me a, an exploratory question, Eric, what do you think it takes to have a meaningful life? That's an exploratory question. I asked the question this past week, uh, in your opinion, what does it take uh, to uh, have hope in our world today? And the person with whom, one of the people with whom I was sharing, got into we're living in a hopeless world. I'm a hopeless person. This is a hopeless existence. I get that. So I asked the question well, in your opinion, what does it take to have hope? That's an exploratory question. You can keep it so simple as that what do you think will make you happy forever? Simple questions, but important questions. The exploratory questions. Uh, classic exploratory question. If you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what do you think you would say? That's a classic. It doesn't work as well right now in, in the setting, in the context of American culture right now. Uh, but it's still, it's an exploratory question that I've used and, and probably will use again. Um, but my favorite right now is some version of, what do you think it takes to have a meaningful life? A satisfying life? And I, I really want to hear their answer. I want to know what, what is making you tick. Because that's one of the key ultimate questions of life. What does it take for me to have hope? What does it take for me to have, have joy? What does it take for me to find purpose? What does it take for me to find meaning? To be satisfied? As I'm listening to their answer... Uh, I'm also praying, God, give me the right words to say, because I want to share with them my journey on this. And I will respond by saying something like this. Well, for me, I, I hear what you're saying, how has that worked for you? Well, it's worked some, it's not worked sometimes. I've, you know, it's, a, it, it's better, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's 60%. It's 70%. And, and I will share, it. yeah, man, I get that because I was raised in a, in a, in a, a church home. Uh, uh, we went to church all the time. So I figured that I would find a meaningful life by doing church stuff. And so I did all the church stuff that I could think to do and, and stuff that, that people told me. This is what you need to do. You do this church stuff. And, and I did it. Have you ever done stuff like that? Well, yeah, maybe not church stuff, but I've done so. People tell me uh, it's like the keto diet. If you do the keto diet, you'll lose weight, right? I don't know. I've never tried it. But, you know, intermittent fasting, you know. Do you realize that we talk more about our diet than we do Jesus? Just a thought. So here I am, we're talking, that if you use this, this will work. And, and I'll tell them, you look, I tried it, and you know what? It didn't work. And maybe 10, maybe 20% of the time I was, I, I, I was satisfied, or maybe 50% I was satisfied, but it's that other 50, 60, 70% of my life that I just couldn't get over, and, and no matter what I tried, I was still empty. I was still dissatisfied. Have you ever felt that way? Yes, yes, yes. Every person has felt that way. Because every person has sinned, and that sin separates them from God. So as you move in this conversation, you're moving them closer to hear the good news of the gospel. As we're talking, person I shared, one of the folks I shared with this week, you know, what is it that, that you think gives meaning and purpose? They share that. Yeah, man, I, I, for me it was church, it was being religious, being exceptionally religious. I, it was doing everything exactly the way I was supposed to according to the religion that I was following, that my mom and my dad followed. And if I did all the things, it, listen to my language, it's very important. If I did all the things that the religion my parents were following, if I did all those things right, then I was going to be satisfied. There wasn't going to be any emptiness. And guess what? There was. And then you transition from that with a simple statement. But there is good news. There's good news for you and there's good news for me. The Bible says, and you can ask, can I share with you the good news? I usually don't. I just move right on. There is good news. The good news is that God made all of us, every person in all of history, for all of time, he made every person... To have fellowship with himself. God has a design circle. God's design. And God's design is for us to be part of his family. To be satisfied because we're part of his family. So when you draw that circle, God's design, you say God. And and then I usually say something like, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 the way God made humanity. He made us in His image and likeness. That means that He made us to have a relationship with Him. God's original design was for us to be part of His family. To be, to, to be satisfied as sons and daughters of the living God. But the Bible also tells us that sin has destroyed my chance at experiencing the satisfaction that God's design offers my sin and you know the Bible tells us that everyone has sinned and falls short of God's standard the Bible tells us that the penalty of my sin is death and you and I have sinned and I'm talking with this very you know what sin is don't you yeah what's a sin that you've done I even ask them, what's a sin that you've done can I tell you a couple of sins that I've done The Bible says that whatever that sin is, whatever my sin is, that sin separates us from God. And that's why we feel so empty. That's why we're on this search for meaning and satisfaction. It's because we're separated from God. His design was for me to be part of His family, for you to be part of His family. But we're separated from Him because of our sin. And it's led us to, second circle, being broken. This world is broken. Can I get an amen? This wor- and I'm talking to the person. They give me an amen too, and like amen. <laughs> this world is broken, but it's broken because of sin. My life is broken, and it's broken because of my sin. My sin has separated me from God. So, because I'm broken, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that I'm dead in my sin. Because I'm broken, I'm looking for ways to find meaning and satisfaction in life. And those are the squiggly arrows. For me, what what was one of my squiggly arrows? Church, yeah, doing doing the church thing. Uh, So, I'm trying to find satisfaction by doing the church thing or being more religious, being perfect at my religious journey. It could be prosperity, it could be be pleasure, it could be anything. Uh, And you've already listened to this person and you can say, well, as you shared, what you do to get meaning and purpose is this. And you put that as a squiggly line. Because all of these journeys to find um, meaning and satisfaction in life don't fix the problem. The problem that we have is that we're separated from our Creator because of our sin. And you'll never get, and I learned this personally, you'll never be good enough to make up for the sin you've already done. God doesn't work like that. It's not karma system. It's my sin, however small, separates me from God. I'm, I, I am not part of his family. I'm separated from him. So here's the good news. The Bible calls it the gospel, third circle. The Bible calls it the gospel. It it is the gospel about a person, not about a journey in religious uh, ideology, not philosophy. It is the gospel about a person, and that person's name is Jesus. And here's the good news. We could not get to God because of our sin. So God came to us. God sent Jesus to rescue us from our sin. This is the good news. This is good news that changes, that has changed my life. God sent Jesus to rescue me. God sent Jesus to rescue you. Jesus, and by the way, we need to make much of Jesus. The hero of every person's story is Jesus. Not a church. Not a pastor. Not a band. Not a movie. Not a philosophy. The hero of every person's story is one person. His name is Jesus. God sent Jesus to rescue me, a sinner, and you, a sinner. And here's, here's how I did. Jesus is and always has been God. Jesus became a baby in Bethlehem. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was fully God and he was fully man. And he lived a perfect life. And Jesus lived that perfect life so that he could die on a cross to pay for my sin. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. Jesus died in my place on a cross so that he could build a bridge for me to walk into God's family. And all the while I'm talking with this person, does any of this make sense? Did you get that? Well, I don't get all of it, but all right, so hold on. Let me get to the end of the story and then we'll talk about it. You see, you're having a conversation, but you're getting the good news. If you have to move fast forward through any of this, make sure that you get to Jesus because there is no gospel apart from Jesus. We're not talking about the good news of a church. We're not talking about the good news of a song. We're not talking about the good news of a political idea. We're talking about the good news of a person. His name is Jesus, and Jesus is and always has been God. Jesus became flesh and bone, and, and, and died on a cross for our sin in our place. And he was raised from the dead to give us new life. And it's through Jesus that we can enter into God's family. But the way we receive Jesus, the Bible says if we want to be part of God's family, this is John 1, 12, if we want to be part of God's family, we've got to repent and believe on Jesus. We, we've got... We, we, We've got to repent and believe. To repent means that I'm no longer looking at uh, ways that I can make myself happy or philosophies that I think are going to tickle my fancy. I'm turning away from self, and I'm trusting in Jesus. I believe that Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, that's the only way I can experience God's family. It's the only way that I can be rescued. It's the only way that my brokenness can be made whole. That's what it means to repent and believe. The Bible says if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God raised Him from the dead, we can be rescued. John 3.16 says that whoever believes on Jesus can be rescued. We must repent and believe. And once we repent and believe, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We are brand new. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. When I repent and believe, Jesus rescues me and brings me into his family. I am now a son or a daughter of the living God. But that means that there is a way for me to live so that I can recover... God's design and pursue His design in every aspect of my life. To recover and pursue. Recovering is what God does for me. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. I don't recover myself. God helps me recover His design for me. What has destroyed me, what has killed me, what has made me empty is my sin. And God says, you don't have to live in that old life any longer. Now, I've given you a new heart. I've made you a new person. You have been, according to John chapter 3, you have been born again, made brand new. Ephesians 2.10 says it a little bit differently. He says, for uh, uh, Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus And then Ephesians 2.10 says that now that you're a saved person, now that you've been rescued by God's grace, Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship, his special work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. So as followers of Jesus, we've been made new. We've recovered our identity as sons and daughters of the living God. This is the way we were made. We now can experience the full flavor of our identity. It's not whitewashing a picket fence, but it's found in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a son of God. My identity is different. It's the only identity that can satisfy our soul. So I've recovered that. And now, every day from here to heaven, I'm supposed to be pursuing God's design in my everyday life. That's Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we see what it means to recover and pursue. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Just listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this recovering and this pursuing. By the way, we know that the world is broken because I still have to use glasses to read. Not only that, y'all know I wear contacts too. So I'm wearing contacts to see you and I'm wearing glasses to see this. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. When we're talking with people, sharing the gospel with people, we need for them to understand that um, on the other side of receiving the gospel is this wondrous work of God's grace that has set a pathway for us To follow. You see, the gospel is not if I reform my behavior, then I'll be saved. The gospel is not if I reform my behavior, then I'll be accepted into God's family. The gospel is receive Jesus. Through faith in him, by God's grace, receive Jesus, be rescued, and then work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That idea of working out salvation in fear and trembling means that God empowers us to obey him. As a son or as a daughter, we want to obey our parents. I did, and I was not the best son. Right? My mom sent me a text in between services. She said, that's a great message. And she used all kinds of uh, uh, wonderful mother things in that text message. Great message and had hearts and and smiley faces. And it was in all caps. She was yelling, good message. And I guess she said it was good because she didn't hear this part of the message. No, we want, as sons and daughters of our earthly parents, we want to obey them. Right? We do. We want to obey them. There's something in our DNA that wants to obey our parents. It's just the way we're made. doesn't mean we obey our parents, but we want to. There is a want to in us to obey them. Again, that's, that's DNA stuff. When our parents are loving, faithful parents, that drive to please them, to obey them is, is ramped up. But there were times when uh, my mom, um, uh, used my mom since she sent me the text, my mom would say, Eric, don't leave the yard. And as long as she was watching, I stayed in the yard. But when she turned her back, I left the yard. Now, our journey as followers of Christ feels like that sometimes. Our obedience is occasional. But as we grow and mature as followers of Christ, the more we grow in love with God, the more we see His grace in our lives, the more we understand that, that the only satisfaction and meaning I have in life is in relationship with Him, so I don't want to do anything that would jeopardize, that, that would cause um, uh, um, uh, uh, any kind of barrier or obstacle in that relationship. I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect this relationship because it is relationship with God alone that satisfies my soul. And the more we grow in Christ, the more mature we are as followers of Christ, we understand that that I must obey Him. That's working out our salvation. Working out our salvation is obeying God in, in the presence of someone like Paul or in their absence. We're still going to obey God no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we're going to obey God. And the more we grow as followers of Christ, the more we want to obey God. And God, in His grace, empowers us to obey Him so that we can work out this salvation, walk along this path. We can fulfill the will of God revealed in the Word of God, empowered by the grace of God, applied by the Spirit of God, so that every day is a journey. It's an adventure of obedience to God. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus can I humbly suggest that the reason you're dissatisfied with God is not because of God, it's because of your disobedience. This is personal testimony. If I'm dissatisfied with God, if I'm dissatisfied with my life, chances are there's disobedience at core. And it could be disobedience of my attitude. It could be disobedience of my passions. It could be disobedience reflected in my my appetites. It could be all kinds of disobedience. But if you are disappointed in God, God has not failed you. Not even close. But I failed him, even as a son. Good news, that once I'm a son or once you're a daughter of God, you will always be a son and you will always be a daughter of God. And God will draw you along. Now, as a son, whenever I wandered from the yard, my mama, she would chase me back into the yard uh, yeah, with a switch, with a coat hanger, with a spoon, whatever she could find, with a stick. She used it. Now, I know some of y'all think, well, child abuse, child abuse. No, this was 1970s. That wasn't child abuse. That was love. So, Oh, y'all, y'all were beat as child t- children too, I could tell. No, I, I, look, my mama would get me back in that yard. And I was thankful for her love that led me back to safety. Now, I didn't know that that was the safe place to be until I grew older, more mature, and realized, no, mama wasn't trying to rob me of, of fun. She was trying to keep me in a place of safety and security and satisfaction. Uh, As we are followers of Christ, as we become followers of Christ, we grow. This is all called sanctification. We grow in obeying Him. And secondly, uh, not only does God empower us to obey Him, but God also empowers us to find joy in His pleasure. Edie and I have been married 31 years. Isn't that good? And for 31 years, for 31 years... In those times of marriage, uh, in my imperfection and in my failing and in my ugly, in those times, I have learned, mainly by my mistakes, that I am more satisfied in everyday life when I live for her pleasure as my wife than if I live for my own pleasure. Can I humbly suggest that one of the problems in your relationship with the living God is that you have elevated your pleasure above his pleasure. And that is an equation that will never work. As followers of Christ, verse 13, it is God who works in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It's our heart's desire as followers of Jesus. It is satisfaction and sweetness to our soul when we live for the pleasure of God. God gives us a heart to please Him. That is to will His good pleasure. And He gives us hands to fulfill it. That is to do His good pleasure. Now, obviously, you're not going to share this all this with people that you are talking with and sharing the gospel with, but we do need to help them understand. Every person we talk to, we don't need to just leave them with the gospel and say, now you're saved. We need to help them understand. As followers of Christ, you are a new creation. And living in that new creation means that you are, you are working out this wondrous salvation through obedience to God so that your heart and your hands are given every single day to pleasing Him to recover and to pursue. Um, There are people around us who are living by Tom Sawyer principle of whitewashing a picket fence. And they're desperate for the absolute truth of the gospel. And it is on us to share the absolute truth with them. After all, this is part of living for God's pleasure. Would you bow your heads with me, please? You might say to yourself, I I don't know if I'm up to talking with someone else about Jesus, just sharing the gospel. Look, I, there's not one of us that feel like we're ready, that we're capable, that we're worthy to share the gospel. I've been, I've been part of this journey of sharing the gospel since I was 15 years old. And I don't feel like I'm up for the task even today, 40 years later. But the good news is that God is not looking for our capability he's looking for our availability and today if we the church first Norfolk we are family but if we would live like family and we would commit ourselves today I'm going to ask God to give me an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus today I'm going to ask God for the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus to walk through as far as we can the three circles. And if we would depend upon God to empower us to be obedient to Him in this task, I can promise you, you will find joy in pleasing Him. As you step outside your comfort zone, Empowered by His Spirit to obey Him. You will find joy in pleasing Him. These next few moments as we worship the Lord together, I'm just going to invite you to hear the words of the worship song that we're going to sing. And to find your rest and your peace and your joy and your help in Jesus who has rescued you from, God, from sin's embrace by God's grace. As we call upon Jesus to come to our aid and be our rescuer not only from our sin but in everyday life the good news is that Jesus is able and ready to take hold our heart and to help us be his ambassadors in a broken world now father in these next few moments let us look to you and find our strength in you that we find our comfort in your embrace and our courage by your holy spirit so that we would be obedient to you and find joy in your pleasure.